You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Hello, and uh, welcome to this week's episode of uh, Justice is Served, where we bring you the latest in legal news and entertainment. I'm your host, Rawa Gabra'ab, and I'm joined by my better half, Lonnie Coombs. <laughs> so happy to be here. I don't know that I'm the better. I'm just a half. Oh, <laughs> uh, happy Friday, Lonnie. Man, we have a lot to discuss today, but before we get into it, I want to make sure we plug our uh, founder, Maria Menounos' uh, new book, The Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness, available now on Amazon and in bookstores, so you guys check it out. Great recipes uh, and tips in there. Um, full show today. We're going to be discussing the legal ramifications of the uh, New Jersey car crash that critically injured uh, comedian Tracy Morgan and, and, and killed his mentor uh, and uh, injured several others. Kardashian gal pal Brittany Gastineau was allegedly attacked in West Hollywood. An update on Casey Kasem, uh, child support woes of a reality uh, TV star, and uh, catfishing gone wrong, as well as a discussion of uh, and a look back on uh, the O.J. Simpson trial and the murders, which of uh, Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman, which took place 20 years ago today. Uh, let's go ahead and get started today with our case of the week. Uh, Tracy Morgan, horrible, horrible, horrible news out of New Jersey uh, this past weekend. Uh, the driver of a Walmart truck hit, uh, actually plowed into a limousine truck, a limousine, yeah, I think it was a limousine, limousine truck, limousine bus uh, that was carrying... Tracy Morgan, his mentor James McNair, uh, and uh, a few other comedians and, and assistants, uh, and they were coming back from a performance. And so uh, McNair, who was uh, again Tracy's mentor, was killed. Tracy was critically injured, and um, as were uh, the other passengers in the car. So uh, now the the truck driver, the Walmart truck driver, who goes by the name of Kevin Roper, has been charged with. Uh, death by auto and four counts of assault by auto in connection with the crash. Uh, Roper pleaded guilty or pleaded not guilty during his arraignment on Wednesday. And uh, amid these accusations that he had not slept for 24 hours uh, before the crash, he didn't say much uh, during the arraignment. And we really don't have that much information, Um, except uh, it appears that Roper has has spoken out in a series of tweets, which cannot yet be corroborated. uh, But, uh, he claims in those tweets that, you know, he is being made to be a scapegoat and that he had slept, that he was not on drugs, that he was not on any type of, you know, substance. And so uh, I think the question arises right now, why was he charged with death by auto and ag- aggravated assault before we even know how he was driving? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I've handled a lot of vehicular homicides. That's what they're called here in um, California. There, They're called death by auto. There's essentially three types of murder. There's murder, Mm -hmm. manslaughter, and death by auto, when people die in auto crashes. And the hard thing about those cases is, is it an accident or does it uh, rise to the level where they should be criminally prosecuted? And essentially the standard in uh, New Jersey is that they have to be Um, reckless, which is more than just negligent. Reckless is where you knew how dangerous uh, 
the the action was that you were going to do, and you didn't care. Mm-hmm. So if they could prove that he had been not sleeping for 24 hours and went out and was driving this huge big rig, you would say, yeah, you know what? He sh- knew what he was doing was dangerous, and he didn't care that he was, you know, probably impaired and out there driving. In fact, that's a presumption that they have specified in the law in New Jersey. If you go more than 24 hours without uh, sleep and are driving, you're presumed to be reckless. So. But the question is, usually in these cases, the investigation takes a long time. Right. We would always have to sit and wait while they bring out accident reconstructionists. Um, you know, you use speed experts. You um, reconstruct the crime. You look at the skid marks. You look at the cars, the um, the maintenance records, the condition of the car. Did, was there something wrong with the brake system or the steering system? And then you go into the records of the drivers, all of the drivers involved, to figure out what caused this accident? Were there more than one um, factors that contributed to it? So you're talking about contributory um, fa- factors going on here. And for the um, case to be filed so quickly, the criminal case, it looks like, just assuming here based on past knowledge of understanding how long these investigations usually take to put together, right? it looks like there might have been public pressure mm-hmm. because it is such a public case to find someone to focus the blame on. Um, So, you know, just looking at it for those reasons, it appears, and we haven't heard anything from the prosecution or law enforcement, that they've done all of these things. I don't even know if it would be physically possible to have done all the investigation that they need to do to put these things together. Um, They did let him, you know, go home, the driver, after he pled not guilty. Right. Um, And so it sounds like they know it's going to take a while longer for the investigation to be put together. But the process is you're not supposed to file a case. You're not supposed to file charges until you have, you know, a, a certain level of evidence to be able to show to the judge that you can go ahead and arrest someone. So, you know, and then there's going to be this issue of, you know, what is Walmart's liability here. You're talking civil liability there. Um, And then the whole thing about, you know, truck drivers, these long haul truck drivers have been, um, they say regulated. Mm -hmm. It used to be they could drive 82 hours a week. It got lowered to 70 hours. And now they were just in the process of trying to raise the hours back up. Well, 70 hours is 10 hours a day on the road. And being on the road is one of the most stressful things you can do. Anybody who has, you know, here in L.A., a commute. <laughs> who lives here knows Right. Knows After this. an hour, you're exhausted. <laughs> right. um, mentally, physically, it's such a strain. And to do that for 10 hours, much less 14 hours or whatever, you right. know, that a lot of these drivers are doing. And it is not uncommon for these drivers to be able to maintain such a schedule, you know, be drinking coffee the entire time, you know, Red Bulls, smoking, eating really unhealthfully, you know, doing taking pills that will keep them awake. Um, and so you wonder about what kind of condition are they in when they're driving. Now, I don't know what kind of condition this driver was in. And he's saying, look, I wasn't doing any of those things. I was, um, you know, aware and not impaired. And at this point, we don't have any evidence, you know, one way or the other. There are just simply pure accidents mm-hmm. that can happen. Um based on the road conditions or based on something going wrong with the car. So I think it'll be interesting to see what else comes out in this case. And I think everyone should just wait and hold back. It's a tragic incident. I think it is important to look at the situation that these truck drivers are in, in general, to say, is it really a smart idea to raise their um, hours up to 82 hours again in the week? I don't think that's smart. And maybe look at that industry and say, look, these 
companies that hire these truck drivers and put them under such a difficult burden. And if the truck driver says, hey, you know what, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Physically, I can't do this. I'm not safe. They go, great, you go. We got, one, we got another person in line right behind you because everybody wants a job. Right. And, and so maybe that needs to be in the spotlight oh, right absolutely. now. Absolutely. Um, I, what really concerns me, or not even necessarily concerns me, but just uh, seems just really off about this, this whole case, is that you, you can't really regulate even with paperwork, um, whether a truck driver is even pulled over to go to sleep or, um, you know, has rested. And it seems clear based on what we know about Roper, uh, based on media reports to date, that he um, he said he was he was rested and uh, that that wasn't an issue. And uh, I just I don't really know how a um, a death by auto um charge is really going to hold up. It just, well, there's ways to investigate it. They uh -huh. can look at the driving record. They're supposed True. to keep logs. They can look at the you know, the gas, how much gas they had in the car. They mm -hmm. can look at, was he using his phone? Were there tweets? You know, so there are ways, but it takes time. All right. of these investigative skills and techniques take time to do. Yeah, and it's it's not necessarily fully conclusive. So we will we will see how that part plays out. Walmart, for its part, has um, accepted. You know, if they find that you know the driver was liable, has stated publicly that they will take full responsibility. Uh, but from what I understand, liability insurance on these trucks uh, is only set legally right now at seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So uh, I mean, you know, may seem like a lot, but given how many people were injured, mm -hmm. hospital bills, I mean, injuries. Funerals. I mean, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't know if that would even cover one person. Well, Walmart's a deep pocket. I'm sure right. that they can. You know, I'm sure there'll be lawsuits for all of that. But you know, there's a lot of you know allegations that look. These companies just build it in. You know, it's kind of the cost of doing business. They right. Figure, we will cut corners here and push our drivers beyond the limits of what is safe. And if somebody dies or somebody gets hurt, well, we just we'll figure it out later. We, we figure that into the assumption of risk and we can pay for that because we've saved so much money over here. Absolutely. So, you know, um, Walmart stepping up, I appreciate that. But, you know, yeah, there's a lot of cynicism about <laughs> about these companies. <laughs> right. And, they do. and, you know, you're right. Walmart does have deep pockets, um, you know, for these smaller trucking companies, though, however. Um, yeah, that liability insurance stays right there at 750 yeah. And, uh, you know, We'll see how that plays out. Another kind of twist to this case is that uh, a passenger, not, not, I think somebody who was on the road or pulled over um, after the accident had happened on the New Jersey uh, Turnpike, taken video on his or her cell phone. And that video was uh, sent to TMZ. And TMZ posted that video. Um, and you can see, you don't know whose body is being removed. Um, I think you can see two bodies being removed from the wreckage um, of the accident. And um, Artie Fuqua, who was the, um, or who is, who was the opening act uh, at um Tracy Morgan's show, which they were driving back from, his daughter made a public plea to TMZ uh, requesting that TMZ remove the video uh, and that it was sensationalism mm -hmm. at its worst. And um, other comedians, very high-profile comedians, Judd Apatow, Louis C.K., um, have all taken TMZ to task, requesting that they take it down. TMZ, of course, for its part, has not, and we've chosen not to show the video here ourselves. Uh, but uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, I, I think that as a society, with all of our social media and the YouTube videos mm -hmm. and everything, we have become desensitized. Absolutely. So I appreciate that in this situation, when the victim's family spoke up, mm -hmm. which they do many times and nobody listens, that other high-profile people uh, jumped on the bandwagon to exert that pressure. 
pressure. Maybe we as a society will start showing a little more sympathy and empathy. There's no reason that that video needs to be shown. You just, you know, we watched it to look at it to decide if we were going to play it. You hear a lot of agonized voices talking and it you can't see much until you see the bodies coming out. I, there's no reason why people need to see that and for the victims whose loved ones those are, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can cause such great um, damage and stress to them um, that I don't see any newsworthy reason for it. Now, maybe it will be used later in investigation purposes mm-hmm. because an expert eye might be able to see something that, you know, we as lay people would not see. But just for prurient eyes to look at and, you know, uh, get whatever thrill out of it, I don't think is necessary. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Tracy Morgan is uh, likely to remain hospitalized uh, for the next several weeks. He is uh, suffering from what we understand from broken ribs, broken nose, uh, broken femur, broken legs. So uh, he's got a lot of injuries. So we'll keep him in our prayers and um, uh, also condolences to the family of Mm -hmm. uh, James McNair, who uh, passed away and was laid to rest uh, earlier this week. Which I appreciate you mentioning because, you know, in all the stories, they talk about Tracy and they don't talk about the person who actually passed away. I mean, I think he needs to be mentioned along with Tracy. You know, at first it it looked like, you know, the, the stories were that, Tracy was at death's door, and mm-hmm. you know, so there was a lot of focus on that. But someone actually did pass away here, and and I think that that is appropriate to recognize him also. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll see how this plays out. All right, we've got four stories on the on the docket, and these stories are some really interesting things that happened this week. The first one is Brittany Gastonow. Now, if you remember her, she I think she and her mom had a reality show there for a while, and she's oh, one that's of right. Remember, I forgot about <laughs> and that. And then. Um, yeah. She's one of Kim Kardashian's best friends. Mm -hmm. So the allegations go that she has been supposedly dating or seeing Marky Lewis, who is a famous street artist who goes by the name Retina. Um, They've been dating, and he had had some major knee surgery, and afterwards he checked into the London Hotel in West Hollywood Mm -hmm. to recuperate. And um, Brittany went to see him the day after, and she ended up, going to the hospital after that visit with some very bad injuries. Um, And the hospital there, because of the injuries, felt there was a domestic violence situation and, as they are required to do, called the police. And so the police came, they interviewed Brittany. um, And then, interestingly enough, Brittany actually went out in public Less than a week later, went to some very high-profile places for dinner where the paparazzi always are, and these pictures were taken showing these injuries, which a week later are still pretty bad. Wow. Um, And then the allegations came out that uh, she had hired Sean Hawley, who we all love here, um, a great attorney, to um, represent her Mm -hmm. and either try and file a lawsuit um, or force a settlement. Now, interestingly enough, and they weren't even necessarily naming the person at that point, but Marquis Lewis has an attorney who has not waited for all of this to go down. He's just stepped up, Michael Goldstein, and he said, yes, my client is the one that she visited, and he was... Um, being, you know, recuperating. He couldn't even walk without crutches, so he was clearly had limitations physically. They did get into an altercation. He said there was lots of swinging, and in the end, both of them were injured, including Retina, his client. He said his face and eyes were swollen, his painting hand, and he's an artist, Mm -hmm. was injured, and his ear was cut up. But he said Retina was not the aggressor, but Retina doesn't have any bad feelings towards Brittany and is not going to call the police 
police and they're cool with each other. And by the way, Brittany's still texting him mm-hmm. and still calling him and everything seems signs were kind of surprised that she went to the police or that the, she actually that she went out to um, these public places where these photographs would be taken and obviously stir this whole thing up. She did not go to the police. The hospital called the police. Right. So the question is, what do you think is going on here? Do you think it's going to blow up into something bigger? Do you think that a lawsuit will actually be filed? Or do you think this will all be settled quietly between the parties? Uh, Yeah, I think something is definitely up. Mm -hmm. um, And I think it will be settled. And I Mm -hmm. think it will be settled relatively quickly. I think Brittany going out to Craig's in West Hollywood, which is a paparazzi ridden uh, (laughs) uh, restaurant with with these injuries. I mean, no attempt to cover it up, no attempt to, you know, with makeup or anything. It was it, it was pretty surprising. I think she I think she wanted to it to be seen. I don't know if mm-hmm. this was meant for her to kind of leverage settlement mm-hmm. in some way. I think that's the key word, leverage. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and use that, use those photos. Um, and and it, I think it was reported that her mother was making comments to the paparazzi. I can't recall off the top of my head, uh, you know, the things that she was saying, but I mean, kind of, they're asking her what's wrong, and the mother was responding, and so um, it, it seemed like they wanted these pictures out, mm-hmm. and uh, figured the best way to do that was to go out in a place where the pictures would be taken, and, um, you know, within the day, the story came out, and now we know that they're in the midst of um, settlement negotiations. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's pretty, I don't know what word I wanted. To, I wanted to use the word gross, um, just kind of how the whole thing seems to be playing mm-hmm. out. But at least um, it appears that Retina um, is is not trying to smear her. I mean, she's obviously a victim yeah. in some way. Look at her eye. But um, but it, it, it's my hope. Um, and I'm almost positive that it'll be um, handled pretty quickly. What do you think? Well, he is saying it's mutual combat. So mm-hmm. he is saying that she was aggressive in the situation. But it is an interesting fact that he was recuperating from this knee injury. Mm-hmm. So um, how much physicality he had at the point, I think, would be a big um, telling factor if this, you know, went any further and to decide whatever type of lawsuit. I don't think that if everything was fine and dandy, as the attorney is trying to allege, um, that she would be going out in public and being allowed to be photographed this way. I, I think she would have probably waited until her injuries went down. So I would say that because she's out in public, that there is clearly some type of lawsuit or court action hanging mm-hmm. over them. And then what happens will happen. Yeah, so. we'll see how he was injured, too. So, yeah, yeah we'll see. Exactly. once that information comes out or, you know, it's, it's brought to the forefront, I guess, of this uh, of this settlement or of this right. litigation, if it gets that far, then... Um, it could end we'll up see. being the battle of the photographs. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Casey Kasem. As we were talking about him last week, and we said he had taken a turn for the worst, well, he's continued to decline yeah. rapidly. And now the fight, of course, which has not stopped. You would hope that at some point, as we said at the end of our segment last week, that the families would come together and let him die in peace if, right. you know, if that's the point where they're at. But no, that's not happening. Um, they're still going back and forth in court as he is... Um, d- diminishing rapidly in the hospital. And the judge said that um, the daughter, Carrie, gets to continue uh, with the conservatorship. And so the fight now was, can she take him off the forced hydration and feeding tube? And um, they've gone in a couple of times. And the first time the judge said, no, you have to keep him on. And then the hospital said, look, it's he his body is shutting down so when you feed him it's not digesting it's just backing up in his system and when you force the water into him when you try to hydrate him he's drowning him 
because he can't assimilate the water. And you literally hear him gurgling oh, is what his daughter said. It was horrible, we, she said. We watched him drowning in front of us. And so she went back into court, and at this point the judge said, okay, you, you do not have to do that any longer. Well, of course, Jean Kasem, his wife of 34 years, said to, him, to the judge as she stormed out of the courtroom, you have blood on your hands. And her attorney said, you just imposed a death sentence. Well, okay, honestly, technically that's probably true, but it wasn't the judge. I mean, this is someone who is dying Mm -hmm. and who should be allowed to die in the most peaceful way, in the most dignified way possible. And the judge said, look, this is one of the hardest things we've ever done. Um, And hydration is not, dehydration Mm -hmm. is a horrible way to die, but they have him on morphine. They're trying to make him um, as comfortable as possible, but you know, it's an, it's more of an act of God than the act of the judge at that right. point. So um, h- how do you feel about what the judge did? And do you think that these parties will ever come together and allow him to die in peace? I think that you, I think you're totally right. The judge did what the judge had to do. And um, it's clear at this point that uh, Casey Kasem is is dying. And so um, to allow him to do that peacefully, um, I think is the best way to go. And obviously there are very conflicting feelings in in many families when um, a family member is at the end of their life Mm -hmm. and whether, you know, you want to continue on with treatment or to kind of just allow them to transition peacefully. Um, But um, I think that that, I think that was the best move. And I don't think these parties will ever come together. Um, I think Gene has, um, I think Jean has some issues based on what we've seen. And now from what TMZ seems to be reporting is that there's this elder abuse. uh, There are elder abuse allegations that are being investigated uh, by the Santa Monica uh, Police Department. Mm -hmm. And um, and these allegations stem from the fact that apparently Jean, before he before Casey was taken from California out of his home to um, to Washington, that she drove him to Nevada, then drove him to Arizona, then drove him back to Nevada, then from there flew to Washington in an effort to keep him away from the children. Remember and, that time right. when they were like, where is he? He's yeah. missing. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I, I didn't I didn't realize that, you know, they were going all over the western part of the country. And yeah. um, also to have somebody with these bed sores who to take them out of, of care, out of the hospital, into a car sitting for hours on end, I mean, it couldn't have been good. And um, and the allegations from the children are that these the bed sore or bed sores uh, that Casey was suffering from may have may actually be uh, have led to an infection and will lead to his eventual his eventual death. So if, if the Santa Monica Police Department finds that those allegations are true, we're looking at some really serious ramifications for mm-hmm. Gene Kasem. And at that point, I think the relationship, if it's not already completely destroyed, mm-hmm. will definitely be over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you said, also what we've seen from the video of her throwing the meat and stuff, it almost sounds like she's a little bit unhinged at this point. I don't know if it's an actual, word. you know, <laughs> um, actual specific mental illness or if it's just, you know, paranoia that comes in or just, you know, her grief is overcoming her rational side of her brain. I, I don't know, but um, that could be it, too. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's such a sad situation at a time when you hope that a family will come together in their mourning and, and um, allow someone to go um, peacefully. Mm-hmm. Okay. Record producer Stevie J. Now, some people know him as this reality star of VH1's Love and Hip Hop. He's also a Grammy-winning producer, 40 years old. He just got arrested for allegations that he has not paid more than $1 million in child support. 
okay, the, <laughs> this woman is going to get a big payday if she ever gets her hands on the money. So um, he has two children with music producer Carol Bennett. And um, back in 1999, he was ordered by the court to pay $6,600 per month for both these kids because he was making some good money, obviously, oh, yeah. based on that. Um, yeah, it hits. Yeah. And then in 2011, it got bumped up to nearly $8,600 per month. And apparently he hasn't been paying any of it. So now the tab is up to a million dollars. And meanwhile, he's been making lots of money on his um, reality show, $27,000 a month. So he could easily pay that child support. And from January to August of 2013, he made at least $193,000 from his uh, TV show. Um, of course, his response through his attorney is, this is all preposterous. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he went and... He was arrested. He posted his bond. He's out now. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with this case? I hate to admit that I've seen this reality show and okay. that I watch it. Okay. So uh, based on what I've seen, this guy is not very credible. <laughs> and okay. um, he's also a very big spender on okay. the show. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm sure that 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 um and reality shows are very smoke and mirrors i mean yeah. everything's not necessarily as it seems but um i mean just on this recent um series or i guess season premiere he bought a new house gotten mm. married um has several really expensive cars so it's not looking too good for this guy he has several children these two children are not just you know okay. the only one i was he's, gonna ask you did these two children show up on his tv show at they all? do not his okay. youngest has okay. his youngest i think he has a three-year-old or four-year-old with another cast member on the show okay. and and so she's been on the show and I think there are even more children than that. So mm. uh, several children, several you know mothers, and um, it appears that um, you know he hasn't taken care of these uh, two children mm-hmm. uh, that we're discussing today financially. The mm-hmm. mother of uh, the children, uh, Carol Bennett, actually put on a press conference in October of last year, saying, "You know what? The system is just not working. We've been to court a million times. It just I feel like." I'm not getting any help. These kids are 14 and 16. I've been raising them, and yeah. I've been paying for everything myself. And, um, you know, he's promised to help pay for insurance. I mean, these kids need to go to college. I can't do it all. I mean, I'll do what I can, but I cannot do it all. And uh, she's at the time, he had missed 168 payments. I mean, hmm. I guess that totals, I guess, to, you know, yeah. around a million. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's out on bond. But I think that the um, the lifestyle that he leads on that reality show will play a a big part yeah. in in kind of the judge maybe determining like, okay, you have something, you have some yeah. Assets. Unless he comes in and says like you said, it's all smoke and mirrors. But you know, right. the, the sad thing about this in any child support case, you know, you can spend years trying to go after the money, and sometimes mm-hmm. you never see any of it or a small portion of it. But the people that really lose here are the kids, right? Because the kids, and it's not even a matter of them living at a certain lifestyle, although here they're watching their dad on this reality show living in this really glitzy lifestyle while they may not be. Um, and there may be some resentment over that, but it's just that feeling that the kids will have, no matter what you say or do, that, hey, I don't matter enough to my dad for him to be mm-hmm. an honorable person with me. And it really can damage that relationship of trust Mm -hmm. and integrity. And you know what? I don't know why, you know, people think that that their money and spending it on something else is more important than that. But um, they're the ones who really lose out on this. Absolutely. Okay, this last story um, on the docket. I am telling you, 
It made the hair on my neck yes. curl when I read this. It, this is crazy. Terrifying. So, okay, there's this woman in Alabama, and she allowed her 19-year-old niece, Marissa Williams, to come live with her in April. And I'm assuming that might have been because she was having problems at home or whatever. So she's living with the aunt. But soon after she moves in, there started to be problems and friction. And the aunt said, you know, she started having, like, men coming over to the house and and um, strangers that she was meeting on the Internet. See? So the aunt was... <laughs> was like, hmm, I, I don't like this. This is not a safe thing to do. The aunt lived there when she had a fiancé and her own child. So uh, she did something that I think is very smart. I know Brilliant. some people will be like, uh, but I always recommend this to parents. Maybe not to this level, but I always tell parents, you need to know what's going on your kids' social media. Mm-hmm. And you can't pretend like, oh, I don't understand it. I'm you, know, you have to get on there. So what she did, she went even a step further. Um, she had been in the social media, but then the, the, the niece blocked her so she couldn't get on it. So she actually came up with another persona. She came up with a name of Trey Top Dog Ellis and created a fake profile so that her niece, um, Marissa, would friend her and they could develop this relationship, which is known as catfishing, right? Mm-hmm. Catfishing is where you have a relationship with someone you think is one person is the other. Yeah, based off a really great uh, documentary and now MTV show. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. So she does this, and sure enough, her, her niece, Marissa, friends her, um, and upon their first interaction on social media, Marissa, this 19-year-old, gives the imaginary man, Trey Top Dog Ellis, her phone number and her home address. That is what you never do, first of all, ever to somewhat stranger on the internet. And she offered to have sex with him if he would pay her $50 phone bill. Okay. Good God. After talking online just for a few days, she then asked Ellis, who was really her aunt, to kidnap her so she could leave her family. Then they continued conversing, and finally the teenager told Ellis that and she never met him to this point, obviously, mm-hmm. that she wanted him to come to the family's home, told him how to come in, and wanted him to shoot her aunt, her aunt's fiance, and her aunt's child. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> the aunt is probably sitting there typing and she's like, What? So she calls the police. Yeah. She tells them the police come, they interview Marissa, and Marissa admits to all of it. Well, because they probably had a trail right mm-hmm. there, you know, on the, the emails Can't or whatever it is. to get out of it, yeah. Um, and she said, yeah, but I didn't really mean to do it. I was, I was just joking. I was just venting. I really wasn't going to do this. Um, but they arrested her uh, for solicitation to murder. And now I'm assuming she might not be living with her aunt anymore. Safe to say. Yeah. So what do you think the police should do with this case? I think they should take it all the way. I mean, I'm, I, I, I have very mixed feelings on making an example mm-hmm. of people, but I think in this case, um, and especially with the prolifer- proliferation of the internet and fake you know, profiles and, and just the things that can come from social media, the really damaging things, this isn't the first type of story I've heard like this. I mean, I'm, I've heard of stories where um, people solicit uh, murder over mm-hmm. social media. So this mm-hmm. is, um, I mean, solicitation of murder requires the intent to, that the offense be committed, mm-hmm. and then also, uh, like, commanding, encouraging, or requesting that another commit the offense. And so, I mean, she's fulfilled those two requirements, mm-hmm. and um, I know she's young. She probably didn't really think this through mm-hmm. very well, but, I mean, what if this had been a real man, yeah. and what if he decided to go through with it? Yeah. I mean, I think there need, there's something needs to be done. Kids and young adults need to see that there is, and even older adults need to see that there are going to be 
there are going to be uh, repercussions for these types of actions. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's my hope, that they, they take it all the way. Yeah. What did you think about the, the ant actually catfishing, going so far as to create this fake profile? Genius. Okay. I don't even know if I would have thought of it. I should have because I watch Catfish, and I think it's a great show. I think it's a really fantastic show. Now it's kind of gotten to the point where people will actually catfish for the purpose of trying to get on the show, it appears. Mm. And so, I mean, but the first season early second season, mm-hmm. I thought, man, this is brilliant. And um, that she thought it through probably because she saw what kind of activity she was engaged mm-hmm. in, her, her niece, when she was not blocked. Yeah. She probably thought, okay, you know what? I need to figure out a way to see what she's doing. Well, and people were coming to the house. So yeah. it's interesting that the, the niece says, I was just joking, I never would have gone through it, but the, she was having other men actually come over to the house for whatever reason. So Great we point. know she was going that far. And like you said, you know, even if she wants to say she's joking now, you set that into motion mm-hmm. with a real person who will really kill they can come and kill and you oh well you know i thought i was just joking mm-hmm. well it's too late then too late yeah. <laughs> man yeah those are some pretty crazy stories on the yeah. docket but that those one really ones. takes the cake um for tipping the scales today we have a kind of a kind of a flashback um it was 20 years ago today that um oj simpson's ex-wife nicole brown simpson and her friend ron goldman were murdered uh, this is uh i believe june 13th 1994 it's crazy that it's been 20 years mm-hmm. crazy um time really flies and it's definitely not the kind of anniversary that you want to celebrate but um because the murders the trial uh are now, it's the 20-year anniversary, uh, we find that O.J.'s in the news a lot. And um, also, coincidentally, O.J. had his attorneys resubmit their appeal to the Nevada Supreme Court uh, seeking a new trial in the former football star's uh, Vegas uh, kidnapping and armed robbery case. Because he's actually still in jail there. Right. uh, What some people call his karma case. So um, the attorneys are asking that the court is going to reconsider uh, whether his trial attorney in 2008 uh, had conflicts of interest and botched the defense. I mean, we'll see how that plays out. But the question really for today, and there are actually two, is uh, today's kids are really inundated by information online, you know, just like we were talking about earlier with catfishing. And um, do you think that today's kids, young people, are going to understand or do understand the impact of the O.J. Simpson case 20 years ago? I don't think so at all. I mean, you had to live through that time. Mm-hmm. The world is such a different place now on so many levels. Um, you know, I mean, from all the issues that were big in that, race relations, spousal abuse, um, the media involved in courtroom cases, all of those things have changed drastically. Our celebrities, um, you know, mm-hmm. showing the downside of the celebrities and their actual bad actions. Now with social media, a lot of that has changed. Um, domestic violence, the awareness of it, the understanding of it, it they're prosecuted differently. Victims are treated differently. Um, you, you know, the race relations, I mean, back then it was a big thing that it was an interracial couple. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we've come so far in 20 years. Um, and the other thing about that time was everything went on a on a media TV cycle. Mm-hmm. So it was unfolding in real time. People were watching it in real time. And at night, if you couldn't watch it, the trial during the day, you would run home and catch the, the updates. You know, nowadays you can get it all in two seconds, whenever, whatever. Right. Um, and, and we're seeing more and more cases like this. At that time, it was the one case that everybody was watching. Now, because there's TVs in different courtrooms around, or TV cameras in courtrooms all around the country, we see a bunch of cases. And we see that that's not the only case that was, you know, dramatic and, and mesmerizing. Um, and, and so the only thing that's even close to it now is like the Oscar Pistorius case. 
And I, you don't see as much of hoopla around that as, as you did, you know, with the O.J. Simpson case. So I think it's just a different time. I don't think that kids living now could understand it mm-hmm. um, to the same level. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, they'd really have to know their history and learn it. Um, it but was, they're not living it. Right. Even, you know, it's always different to right. read it. It's just like if we try to go back, you know, 50, 100 years and understand what really happened. You know, if you didn't live through the civil rights movement... Mm-hmm. You can read about it and appreciate it, but you did not go there and suffer it yourselves and march yourself and, you know, really feel what was happening. Um, yeah, I, I remember um, the trial just really gripping the nation for mm-hmm. 16 months. I was age redacted. And um, uh, <laughs> I remember that, I mean, it was basically for legal news what what WrestleMania is to, to sports. Mm-hmm. And um, it made the careers, it jump-started the careers of a ton of legal correspondents. Mm-hmm. I mean, CNN was only 14 years old at the time. And yeah. uh, Court TV, I think, was just a fledgling network. Dan Abrams was covering it because I was actually in the courthouse while mm-hmm. it was being, co- you know, in the downtown courthouse, as in the Santa Monica courthouse in the DA's office. When the crime actually occurred, wow. I watched the slow speed chase from the little TV with the little rabbit ears in the, in the DA's kitchen um, and then we thought the case was going to come to us in the courthouse there with Ron Phillips and Mark Furman, two detectives who we had worked with on numerous cases, one of the two best detectives that worked in the Santa Monica Police Department. Then it got taken downtown mm-hmm. by Gil Garcetti, who wanted to have it closer to him, and that changed the whole course of the case. By the time it went to trial, I was then assigned to the downtown courthouse. So then wow. I had a front row seat of it again. Um, and it was fascinating to see it all unfold right there in, in, you know, and it was, it was a very different situation. I mean, to have all the TV cameras there, um, Dan Abrams was covering it for court TV, which Mm -hmm. was just a whole, a new thing. And to have, um, correspondence there that they were the first, you know, legal correspondence that people really knew. I remember trying to walk into the courthouse in the morning, watch out if there was somebody involved in the case, the TV cameras, because they didn't have any restrictions or anything at that point, they would literally run you over and we'd get hit with the cameras and knocked aside and, um, you know, they didn't have any restrictions or boundaries or anything like that. It was all brand new, all brand new. And to have those cameras in the courtroom, because it was the first time for anybody, nobody anticipated, it changed everyone from the attorneys to the judge to the jury. Everyone was hypersensitive and aware of it Mm -hmm. and knew that everybody was talking about it, and that had a huge impact. I was actually just reading a brief interview, I think, you know, maybe a quote from Dan Abrams, who is a very celebrated and very uh, well-known legal analyst. He said he was 28 at the time and uh, that the he was junior correspondent for Court TV. And at the time, it was he was only assigned to the case because the two other people who were more senior than him were busy. And yeah. so, uh, yeah. and now and now look at him. So yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty big. Um, and I guess my second question to this is, would a case like O.J. Simpson's boil down to a to a hashtag in, in today's internet culture? I know we saw, you know, the impact of the Trayvon Martin or the George mm-hmm. Zimmerman case and, um, and the Casey Anthony case. I mean, those gripped the nation and they were definitely very, very popular trending topics on Twitter and on Facebook. But, I mean, do you think that this the trial, if it, if it had taken place now, would have gripped the nation in the same way that those two had? Or? Oh, I do. Yeah, I mm-hmm. do. I mean, you know, O.J. at the time, which this is another thing that, our, you know, the, today's generation doesn't understand. He was 
a hero that everybody knew. Handsome. He had those Hertz commercials. He, I mean, he was a great athlete. All the men loved him. All the women loved him. Um, I remember I went into the courtroom during the trial, and even though I knew the evidence of the case, mm-hmm. I knew the allegations, he walked out in that suit, and the packed courtroom went silent. And there was only one person. Everybody was like, the charisma that mm-hmm. he exuded, even though he had just walked out from lockout, lockout, he walked out and you just went, yeah, wow. I mean, he had the type of, you know, persona that very few people have. And I think that if it had happened today, he, he would have been that way still. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we are still very um, a celebrity-obsessed culture. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that people would have watched it for that purpose. I just think that the way it's put out there now, and you know, you can get it at any time. It's so fast and so quick from so many different venues. Back then, it was more of a shared experience. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of was going through it in real time together. Now everybody's getting it at their own speed at their own time. Yeah, it was definitely um, a, a major milestone in, in televised court history. And um, given the attention that the case will be shown in the, in the next, I don't know, year or, or several months, I'm sure we'll be talking about it again on today's show mm-hmm. or on you know shows to come. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us this week on Justice is Served. We will see you again next Friday. Um, have a great weekend, guys. From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.